This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Following the Tabo Besta escape drama, the Justice and Correctional Services Minister Ronald Lamola has cut ties with the Bloemfontein Correctional Services, the BCC which is partly owned by G4S. The department believes that G4S breached the terms of the contract after Bester escaped from prison last May. And I suppose there's other additional issues to that too, and this might not be the only, only reason that this, this particular contract is being terminated in the way that it is being terminated. G4S has been managing the maximum security prison on behalf of the government since 2021. The concession agreement with Bloemfontein Correctional Services, BCC, stipulates that the subcontractor must give a 90-day notice of termination. Afterwards, the contract will no longer be valid. In the wake, of course, of the uproar surrounding the escape of convicted rapist and murderer Tabo Bester from the Mangung prison, this is just to repeat the Department of Correctional Services has decided to terminate its contract with Bloemfontein Correctional Services, BCC. Let's just bring Crispin Perry into the conversation. Crispin, welcome to Power Perspective. Welcome to Power 98.7, Crispin. And I'll say this, Crispin, the last time I think I spoke to you on this particular show, as it was around music, I think. You know, you had actually called in and we were talking about music. Yeah, that's right, Denzel. Um, good evening to you and good evening to our listeners. Uh, today we're having a very different conversation. Absolutely, um, man. And I think our, our conversation actually, Denzel, can be actually premised on what Richard from Magansport yeah. um, has actually started off by saying that at the core of what South Africans want is they want these institutions of mm. government to work for the people yeah. um, and to deliver the services that they're required to deliver. Mm. And what we had here was an institution that was trusted to do this on behalf of the government. Mm. Um, but by all accounts, by all the information that we have in front of us now, um, it's failed spectacularly and has brought great embarrassment to the country and to the department in particular. Mm. And of course, yeah, we're not dealing with an, or an escape of any kind. We are clearly dealing with an orchestrated event, mm. um, an orchestrated incident that really led to what we now understand was not an escape of Tabo Pista, but a corruption syndicate mm. that really violated all the prescripts of correctional services. And I think the best way for us to show that we will be holding people accountable mm. is to start by actually going for um, where it matters the most, and which is to terminate the contract. And as you can see, though, there are law enforcement processes underway where people are being arrested. Yeah. Um, and that will really help to ensure that accountability um, is achieved. Yeah. Just, just, you know, the way I understood it, of course, was, you know, everybody was in front of 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 the committee in parliament and everybody was being you know asked to explain 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 and at that particular point you know what 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 was interesting was Ronald Lamola had indicated exactly what you're talking about at this particular point at that point he was not saying termination of this particular contract there was a a a suggestion that at that point you couldn't even talk about it because you still needed to set up of course you were looking for a legal opinion and also there needed to be an investigation. I think these are the processes on which you are now basing the decision that's been made. 
Indeed, uh, that's absolutely correct. As much as one may want to take immediate action sometimes, it's important that you take action premised on a proper account of what is required. And that's exactly what we did. We obtained a legal opinion from a senior counsel uh, from the bar, and we analyzed that opinion. We agonized over it, and we thought that, look, this opinion really proves that there are reasonable grounds for us to actually terminate this relationship and sever our ties with this particular company. And and that's what we acted on. And then also the other aspect of it is to also ensure that you have the actual capacity to mm. run the facility once the contract has been terminated. And I can assure South Africans that the, the National Commissioner, Mr. Samuel Tubakhale, has been working very hard uh, to ensure that those processes do, do take the phrase so that at the moment at which the termination takes full effect, we are able to run the facility. But just to say that as we speak mm. now, you would recall that the National Commissioner had actually, uh, for lack of a better term, maybe in simple terms, put that facility under administration. Mm. So it's been run by Correctional Services as we speak currently. Uh, mm. Correctional Services Because there was, there was somebody deployed there. Mm. There was ultimately somebody, Sorry, I mean, I, I think... <laughs> Through the committee, it emerged yeah. that yes, there was an official deployed there, and 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 that 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 official was ultimately in control of the facility already. Yes, so already as we speak now, from an operational point of view, the facility is run by people who report to correctional services directly, whereas before it was a bit of an indirect relationship mm. um, and more of a quality assurance type of a relationship, whereas now it's a direct operational relationship. Mm. Crispin, let's just talk about, you know, whether the decision is based on the Tabo Bester, you know, incident itself and alone, or whether there had been previous, you know, issues that were and are raised within the legal opinion, the legal argument to terminate the contract. Is it is the is the opinion from you know the legal opinion that you have purely based on the Tabo Bester issue, or is it something that was emerging along the lines and and there have been breaches along the lines consistently? So, and at this point, Tabo Bester is you know the one that of course you know, breaks the camel's back and, and this is the issue then that brings to fore the, the contract, you know, termination issue. Yes, definitely, Denza. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, when one looked at the number of issues that we may have had with this facility mm. um, in obtaining the legal opinion, there were a number of other violations that we raised um, and that were flagged yeah. and where we received a number of uh, unsatisfactory uh, cooperation from G4S Mm. and unsatisfactory responses from G4S, not just related to this incident, but a number of other incidences as well. But a simple example, for instance, is uh, even it involves Tabo Besta, the classic case where he was allowed to broadcast from a correctional facility Mm. uh, into a fancy convention center somewhere in Santon. And it's very difficult to fathom how that can happen in a correctional facility, despite the fact that inmates are allowed to have um, laptops for study purposes and Mm. so on. Mm. Uh, I think we can all agree that broadcasting from one facility into a completely different space and having a birthday party, Mm. one could imagine that would have been something that took place for hours on end. Mm. That type of violation already speaks to the level of... uh, of corruption at the facility, not just the the lax security controls. And so that's an example of 
a different type of breach that's not related to the to the assisted uh, escape per se, but um, related to security controls just in general. Mm. And that's one of, for example, one of the breaches that we can easily flag as a, an example of this facility not being. Um, at the level at which we would have expected it to be, mm. Crispin, you know, in in my reading of the of the of the material in front of me, I'm I'm told that there there were 17 failures and 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 breaches just in the Tabo Besta incidents, and I think you've raised some of those, you know, whereby you know. Um, Various, you know, correctional services or various officials are facing various charges whereby, you know, um, incidences just around uh, the Tabo Besta thing. 17 failures just around that particular aspect around Tabo Besta. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you have some insight just, into, just to give us some insight into, you know, some of those 17 breaches? I think the Correctional Services Report, and I'm, I'm not sure what you have in front of you, but yeah. the, the Correctional Services Report that we tabled to Parliament uh, does outline each and every single breach mm. of security that happened around this incident. And I think you may be right. In mm. total, the number may be around 17. 17. Yeah. So you would recall that indeed the National Commissioner had said uh, during the interview and in Parliament, the fact that a corpse was allowed into facility, an unmarked vehicle or an unauthorized vehicle was allowed into the facility. Mm. Um, you know, the the failure for G4S to give us uh, certain information at a particular time, um, the failure for G4S to actually inform us. We had, we had learned a day before Parliament that some of the equipment was actually tampered with. Mm. Um, up until then, the version was always that, by equipment, I mean the cameras, up until then, the version was always that there was just an inexplicable glitch in the cameras and, and, and they don't understand why that happened. Mm. But quite clearly, um, the information then came out, for instance, that no, there was, a, there was someone who tampered with the camera, quite literally, and, and they knew this. And this information was brought to them by a company that's managing that specific equipment. And that individual has just been fired and I think is now one of the parties who are before the courts. Mm. So those are some of the things that are already in the public domain, but I wouldn't want to ventilate each mm. and every uh, specific incident um, on the media platform because, of course, these are legal documents that we send to these individuals and we hope that you know, we, we prevent technical point of issue that one can take. But safe to say that, yes, a number of these flagrant violations were flagged in Parliament. Mm. And, and, and yes, members can maybe want to read some of that stuff in, in such reports. Tell me, is, is a contract of this particular nature, uh, you know, assessed on an, on an annual basis? Or do you, do you, do you look at breaches over a, a, a period and go, okay, another year, another year, another year? Uh, you know, and and the breaches might not be significant. It might be, you know, administrative, and you carry on with the with the with the said contract. Is it is it something to be determined at the end, twenty twenty six, particularly in this contract? This particular contract would have ended thirty June twenty twenty six. But is there a, a an opportunity every single year? to have a conversation about whether we continue with the contract or not, depending on the violations and the breaches that happen. I'm just trying to get insight as to, you know, a, a, a long-term si- co- contract like this, whether it, 
within that particular contract has the opportunities to reassess that particular contract and you're not stuck with it, you know, until the end. I mean, the Tabo Bester incident is fragrantly, you know, one of one of the, you know, um, international movie making kind of types. But 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 there have been all along other kind of transgressions that have happened. So has there been an, an opportunity whereby every year one would look at a contract like this and, and assess it and say, you know what, breaches have happened, but we continue? Yes, uh, I think there are. That's a very important question. There are engagements, at least on a quarterly basis, to understand um, what the controller would have raised with the facility and what the responses are to the controller. And then, if those issues are quickly resolved, then at least we then are able to move forward. But it, I, it primarily also depends on the nature of the breach. Mm. So, for instance, if there's an escape. The circumstances of that escape are quite important for us to be able to understand and deal with the breach mm, mm, there and there on the mm. spot. And so we wouldn't wait for a year to only say, oh, yes, by the way, there was an escape on the 1st of January. Mm. Uh, but we only have to inform you now uh, because now we're reviewing the contract. Mm. Each breach is looked at it on its own merits and is, is then graded as to whether it's a severe breach. Uh, and then, then the decision is taken from there. So you would recall or you may not recall, but there was an incident, I think in 2013, where it was believed that the mm. the the G4S individuals, uh, people running that facility, had lost complete control of the facility. Mm. And, and there's a court case outstanding in that regard. Mm. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So sometimes the, the, the remedies are not necessarily termination of contract, but it's, there's a way of saying, well, let us then run the facility for a certain period and then we get it under control and we reintroduce certain protocols and we show you how these protocols work and then you ensure that you adhere to how a correctional facility ought to be done because they are running the facility on our behalf mm. and we have we have the authority to say this is how we want the facility to be run and this is how you must run it. Because and, ultimately and all of those inmates... Absolutely. All of those inmates are ultimately still, you know, the responsibility of the state. They don't become the the responsibility of BCC or G4S at any particular point, even though it is a private institution. All of those inmates are still the responsibility of the of, of the state and their well-being is the responsibility of the state. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Tell me, 2013, in that particular instance, the differences way back then would be whilst you did take over, and I think there was a, there was a, a a deployment of an official or some officials to that particular prison. At that, the the court case around that, just to make a distinction of what's going on at the moment, the court case around that is not about the deployment of that particular uh, individual or whether you took over the prison as you would have now. It's more, it's rather around the costs and who bore, who bears the costs for that particular deployment and or the costs of running the, 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 the institution whilst it is then under your supervision. Is, is, is it correct to say that? Absolutely. That is what is the dispute currently. And I think uh, it's a dispute of something to the tune of 110 million rand, mm. uh, which they believe is owed to them because uh, during that period, this is money that they never got. Mm. And we also believe that there was certain money that cost the state, the government, for us to, as you call it, deploy these individuals there to run the facility. 
um, really cost us a certain amount. So we believe that that claim should be lodged with them as well. So that's where the dispute is with regards to that. Mm. Just on, on, you know, a big issue was made in the committee around the termination of the contract. Every people were asking, why don't we, why don't we terminate the contract? You know, when are we going to terminate the contract? Various members of parliament were asking that, and there was an issue of of monies at that particular point. Yes, there was a a, a suggestion that you know a a legal component was being sought. And a legal opinion was being sought, and after that, decisions would be made. But there was also the staggering amount of money that, should the contract then be terminated, you know, um, is still going to be have to be paid to G4S uh, because you know there's, there's a contract up until 30 June 2026. What, what's the explanation around that that part? Um, does, does it does it does a breach of contract and you then taking over the establishment also mean that those particular monies fall away or is it in essence um, you take over the institution you run the institution you begin to pay the costs therefore but you still have to bear the costs of of the contractual obligations what what is the understanding around that particular aspect? Well, it goes both ways. A computation will have to be done on how much these breaches have cost um, G4S in terms of penalties. Um, and that will have to be taken into consideration. Mm. And then also, if we are now terminating the contract, there is an amount that may be outstanding. But in lieu of this being now a termination, how do we compute that amount? Mm. Those are some of the factors that have have been considered and continuously will be considered because ultimately uh, there are negotiations that take place around these issues. Mm. And then there's the, the question of um, transitioning. How do we end up running the facility, getting the officials there, and how much would it cost correctional services mm. to mm. run a facility of that nature? And I can tell you that uh, it doesn't cost correctional services 45 million rand a month to run uh, facility <laughs> of that nature, or Mampuru, for instance. So, mm. one would have to then think of how that type of cost gets gets uh, factored in in running a correctional facility. Mm. Uh, of course, there's the question of how do we compensate our staff vis-a-vis their staff. So you would know that their staff earn significantly higher than what a correctional services official mm. would earn. Mm. Uh, and those are certain factors that we have taken into consideration. But they will play themselves out more intricately over the next 90 days. And and one then those are the details that we'll then hold in on uh, as as we work towards the termination in the next 90 mm. days. What, what you're ultimately saying is is that there will be a cost involved, but it just needs to be worked out because obviously, you know, the contract is up until 30 June 2026. And I think, I think the figure that government would have paid um, is, is an astronomical figure up until that particular point. If you merely just do the calculations of 45 million rand a month, you, you're beginning to talk about, you know, uh, a few billion rand in essence then you know that would have been paid yeah, to billion. to them indeed yeah you're looking at two billion two billion rand still mm. yes so even um, even with that in mind is our contractual obligation yeah but 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 uh, you're saying but you're saying the figure is going to be much much smaller than that based on all the other assumptions, the fines that would be applied and also the the, the costs then of, of 
you know, government taking over and government's cost to run that particular facility, and then all of those particular costs deducted from that said figure of two billion. That's that's correct. That's my sure. understanding of how the process would apply. Yes. Sure. Crispin, just on the severity of, of various breaches, um, you know, some some breaches are not as severe as the others. And in this particular case with Tabo Besta, you know, various aspects, like you said, um, you know, um, the institution failed spectacularly, great embarrassment to, to the government, and it seemed to be an orchestrated event also, you know, and, and so just those those three things there, right there, mean that you know we we're busy with a a, a really really uh, a, a scenario here that was you know really really different from anything else. In the reports that have emerged, what what new detail you know does the South African public not yet know of uh, that was said in the public domain, but has come through in some of the reports that you know the department has scrutinized? Is there is there some other detail that would put a reflection on, you know, a decision of this nature to terminate the contract that that yet that is yet not out in the in the public domain, but is within the reports and will emerge over time? Yeah, that's that's a, it's an interesting question, uh, Denzel. Mm. Um, but I think to be in the interest of transparency, I think we have tabled everything that the public ought to know what happened in that facility in Parliament. And and so there would be no surprises, though, of course, the criminal investigation process is currently underway. That's something that as the Correctional Services Department and the Justice Ministry, we have no direct control of. And I think that would be very interesting. That will reveal exactly how this corrupt syndicate operated and you know for instance if people were paid mm. who got what amount uh you know if someone was killed how were they killed um because there are there are there are possibilities mm. around that the the corpse that was smuggled into correctional services mm. it's really questionable as to you know how this individual was identified and so on so i think that that information is most likely to to be ventilated in court through mm. the criminal investigation process, and and that will be extremely revealing as to how the syndicate operated, mm. and and that may also then also show how other G4S officials operated generally mm. uh, in this facility. Maybe was... what we have is simply the tip of the iceberg uh, around some of these issues, and the criminal investigation will show how far the syndicate goes and exactly how deep the pockets were of these these really what we can just simply say treacherous individuals i was i was about to ask you that question as you as you then just began to talk about it if once you begin to talk about a a corruption and a corrupt syndicate uh, th- those sort of institutions don't have a once-off. And, and you know, my understanding then, once you begin to say uh, a syndicate involved in this particular process, my understanding then would be a particular syndicate who has, you know, crept into the system of uh, that Bloemfontein facility and been working over time in various other instances of a particular, of similar nature maybe, or very different kind. But obviously the syndicate would be, you know, um, fleecing the system in a particular way. And Tabo Bester is but one of those particular examples 
of how the syndicate was operating and, you know, the exposure within the Tabo Besta incident was merely, you know, a, a, a reflection of one incident, but the syndicate would have operated over time, you know, within that system and done various other things. Is there any insight into any of the others, whether, you know, more more people would have been, you know, uh, released from that particular institution um, I know, I know that you know. Even the minister said, and the DG said, when roll call happened, apart from Tabo Besta, every single person was accounted for within that particular prison. But if there's a syndicate involvement, you would then begin to think, and I would begin to think that Tabo Besta would not be the only individual who's roaming freely, you know, in 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 a in a society when they should be within that within that system. Does it give you any insight once we begin to talk about a syndicate involvement? Any any insight into other, you know, strange happenings within that particular prison and other people who should be there but, you know, are outside? Yeah, you know, I think that con- that conclusion is not a is not a wrong one to reach per se. Of course, maybe mm. the facts may not be there to to present it as yet, but um, we can understand definitely how one could say. But if you were doing this for this incident, then mm. and, and in such an elaborate and in such an elaborate way, Crispin, you know, it just it just looks like you know pr- professionals were at were, were 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 at play here. It wasn't just people who you know uh, just woke up one day and said, "Let's just try to get a guy out of the prison." You know, it 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 obviously seemed like professionals were 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 busy here, and and it just. For for me in my head, once once syndicates and and something of this nature begins to play out, I I immediately begin to think how many others are out there walking the streets when they should be in that prison. Yes, and I think that's like I said, it's not a an unreasonable uh, postulation at all. And 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 one of the things that we are looking at with um, the Department of Correctional Services is that they've actually deployed, like you said, mm. one of our own individuals, and they've been doing a lot of work um, in scoping exactly what the practices have been at G4S, and we will be cleaning that information soon mm. for our own purposes to understand the extent of which um, some of maybe the systemic issues as to how these security glitches actually then came into effect, particularly in the Tabo Besta case. But it mm. may very well be that, you know, like I say, this is very well syndicated, and there are a number of other individuals who have who have also been let out in the mm. manner in which Tabo Besta was. Uh, but time will tell if that was indeed the case. But South Africans are right to think the way you do, Denzel, and mm. I think that mm. is what happens when when trust is breached. People then start thinking that you only had the 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 guts, for mm. lack of a better word, to do this because you've done it before and you've mm. gotten mm. away with it, and mm. so that's why you did this, and that's why you think you could take South Africans for granted in this matter, mm. in this manner, mm. and and I think that's that's a, a fair assumption, and it needs to be rebutted with facts, and we we'll, we would then look at those facts, we'd look for those facts. There's an there's a very interesting component that South Africans talk about, and and I've looked at some of the reports and and just maybe missed this one, and I and I never saw anything. But some of some some of the suggestions, and and maybe you've you've read through the report a little better than I have, and it's it's in that it's it, it because it's in your domain also. 
facts. Is there any truth to the fact that Tabo Besta was, you know, um, weekends already in and out of the prison with, with, with a security establishment and, you know, that he was getting all sorts of visits as well within the prison that maybe he shouldn't have got and he was living, I mean, he was living a life he shouldn't have been living within that prison system, but would he also have been you know, out on particular weekends and, 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 you know, um, set free and, and, you know, set free on a Friday and brought back on a Monday, you know, to, to do the rest of his sentence and then back out on a Friday and back in on a Monday. Is there any context to, to a scenario where that would have happened with, with Tabo Bester? Because that, that one's particularly sits in my, sits in my head because if that was going on with one particular prisoner then you know if a prisoner has money within that within that system then so many other prisoners are out out on weekends and and you know with their loved ones or with their loved one uh in particular you know Denzel, if you had asked me this question in january <laughs> i would have said that that's highly improbable <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and you know it hardly ever happens, although one at times may has had had tales of this nature. Mm. Uh, but you know I would have frankly denied it. Mm. But now knowing what we know and you know seeing what we have seen with the Tabo Besta case and the level of improbability mm. in his case alone, it's a difficult proposition to refute. And of course. There's actually documentary evidence, we believe, according to reports to that effect. Mm. Those are some of the things that the African police services are looking into because uh, that also involves other violations such as fraud, Mm. uh, possibly identity theft or something to that effect. So that's something that we hope that um, um, the Department of the South African Police Services can shed light over at some point. Mm. But also our controllers that are there this is some of the issues that they must really look into to understand um, some of these these new allegations that are now emerging mm. as to the fact that, you know, this guy may have been let out as far back as Valentine's Day. Mm. Um, mm. And those are, those are some of the things that are being looked into by these controllers. And, and we will, again, once the information comes to the fore, be able to take South Africans into confidence around such issues. Mm. Crispin, is there a distinction between the new charges that someone like Tabo Besta would be facing? Um, you know, correctional services would have its own particular system of of dealing with a prisoner who has, you know, escaped from one of its institutions. And, you know, the police would also deal with with an investigation around various other things. Is there a, a distinctive difference between what correctional services is looking at around Tabo Besta and what the police investigations are looking at around Tabo Besta. For example, I might just think, you know, there's fraud and corruption and other things that the police would be might be looking at too. But but from a correctional perspective also, there there might there, there would have been a lot of violations that would either extend your prison sentence or, you know, you know, take you to a single cell or or, or be treated in a particular way. What 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 what's kind of distinctive things are happening within the police and then also correctional services around Tabo Besta? Yes, uh, again, Denzel, excellent question. Mm. Uh, and as you were thinking, as you were saying, I think I've never encountered this scenario before. That's how mm. extraordinary this case is. Mm. 
Um, but one thing that cannot happen, Denzel, is mm. for the correctional services to extend someone's sentence. Mm. That is the function of the court. So the court would have sentenced someone at some yeah. point. Yeah. And then what most likely happens is that your sentence um, can be, be, well, you serving your sentence in a correctional facility can be reduced mm. by good behavior. Yeah. You become eligible for parole or you become eligible for a remission here and there. Mm. So clearly in this instance, an offender of this nature, um, the profile would indicate that this is a person who is not going to be eligible for parole even when the minimum uh, date comes up because mm. clearly there's some very, very, uh, you know, um, recalcitrant behavior in this individual. So one would not be eligible for parole, but also um, the individual, of course, is incarcerated, I believe, for life. So, mm. uh, or is, is sentenced for life. So that has to be a factor taken into account. But then you have a very unique element as to where that you have now an individual who is supposed to be in custody, mm. but is now most likely going to be sentenced for committing other crimes. Mm. And so now the question is, once this life sentence is in effect, when does the next sentence, if he does get sentenced, start running? Mm. That would be a very interesting question. And I don't have the answers to it yet. I think it's something that will form the research for many, many years, if it has not already. But also it's something that, that the courts will have to really provide guidance on. Mm. And correctional services will then have to create possibly a new sentence plan because mm. when mm. someone is sentenced in a correctional facility, there's what we call a sentence plan, mm. which then computes when do you become eligible for parole uh, and on all of that, uh, provided you behave in a particular way. But now mm. that you have possibly a new sentence coming, mm. uh, one would also then wait for the court to hear whether these sentences would run concurrently. Um, or the courts may also then decide in terms of Section 271B of the Criminal Procedure Act that this is a person who requires an indefinite sentence. So mm. they would not put a limit to his sentence. Mm. And only the courts would be able to release such an individual from a correctional facility. To the best of my knowledge, mm. I don't know that this has ever been done in South Africa, mm. but the provision is there. That so normally for someone who is declared a dangerous and habitual criminal, mm. then that person would be eligible for such a sentence. But I've never seen it being done, but I think it's a possibility mm. given what we have seen with this individual. Crispin, um, just on, on as we begin to end the conversation, I mean, this particular prison was one of the private institutions that that are being that are being run, you know, by a private uh, company. Um, how many are? I think the answer would be two, but but you can confirm that. Would the, would this be one institution, and there is another other institution that is still also operating? How many private institutions? Uh, um, are running within the correctional services pla- uh, uh, place. Correct, Denzel. Uh, this is one of two facilities. The other facility is in a place called Makado in Limpopo. Mm. The facility is called Kutama Sintumule, mm. and that that's also run by a private company. Mm. And the contract, I think, there is due to expire in 2028, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And maybe just to also highlight this, what we actually mean by this private-public partnerships whilst Mm. I'm there, is that 
the idea essentially was that at the time government is constrained, we would rather focus on other services. Let's find a way of dealing with overcrowding by mm. building correctional uh, facilities quickly mm. and on time. And let us then use the private sector as a, a way of assisting us to do that instead of going traditionally through public works, which sometimes takes an inordinate amount of time to build public institutions and public facilities. Mm. This will really help us now deal with overcrowding. And that is why they then went that route. And the concept and, makes sense. Mm. And it made sense at the time you got mm. the facilities on record time and they are of high quality. And then it was said that then let's allow these companies to run the facility and then over time we would then be able to take back the facility mm. back from them and that is how we would then sort of pay for them building the facility for us. Mm. And that is that was the model. So it was, a, it was a pilot in a sense. It was a, a test case. Mm. Uh, but this is important to say, I believe, Denzel, is that also in, these, in this agreement, a concession agreement, it wasn't the case of a prison industrial complex as you would have in the US where mm, mm. it's just completely a private facility running a correctional services uh, facility, a private company running a correctional services facility at their own behest and, and piling up as many prisoners as they can so that they can make a profit of it. Here mm. you had a clear motive of the, what we're really interested in is the facility itself and the best way to pay you is that you maintain the facility up until we mm. are able to completely pay you back for having built the facility. Sure. Crispin, you, you've touched on something I was just about to raise, and it's a, it's a stupid question, but a, 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 the, the, the simplicity of it maybe you know, um, is, is in the answer. Um, a private prison of this particular nature, would the private institution have been responsible for also building the infrastructure? Um, making sure then that that infrastructure works. Of course, it would have been there would have been oversight from the department and government in a particular way. But would the infrastructure have been built by the private institution, and that institution, after the contract is done, then also hands over that particular infrastructure to government? Let's, for example, say this contract would have ended in 2026. Would, would that particular infrastructure then have then belonged to government as part of the deal or would government have taken over the institution but paid a rental uh, to the then said company who was, who was maybe who had built it and then who had been operating it? That's precisely the contract, um, Denzel. The fact mm. that government would then take over the facility and it now belongs to government okay. completely. Mm. Government owns it, and uh, operationally, then now government runs it. Mm. Whereas now, uh, government would pay a particular fee, and whilst operationally it's run by G4S. But after 2020, 2026, mm. it would have been the case that government owns the facility and also runs it mm. um, operationally. Mm. Crispin, just as we end the conversation then, um, government has also, I think, through the through correctional services, uh, the Department of Correctional Services also just, and, and I'm looking at my notes here, uh, we're, we're so confident uh, with, the, with the legal opinion that we have, you know, uh, the fact that we have a temporary manager there, the legal opinion that we have, uh, that, you know, we, we're putting it to the country that this is 
what we're going to do. We're expecting that there might be a legal challenge to it, but we're confident uh, with ourselves and in ourselves that, you know, we've looked at the con- this particular contract and we can assure the South African populace that, you know, we, we're, we're, we're doing the right thing. Yes, it's an obligation that we have to the South African populace to ensure that we act in the best interest. And it's an obligation to the South African populace that we ensure that whatever we do is constitutional, is within the frameworks and the laws of this country. And uh, that's what we intend to do. And we believe that we have done so. Mm. And and if it's proven otherwise, we would definitely be um, would look into that. But we really believe that's why it has taken this long as well. Mm. This was not a knee-jerk decision. Mm. Uh, and despite the, and I can safe, safely say this, despite the public calls and the pressure at the time for us to say, for people to say terminate this contract, mm. it's not a decision that we took uh, on the basis of public pressure, mm. but it's a decision that we took after applying ourselves to the facts that we have before us. And we want to believe that we take decisions based on the facts that are in front of us mm. and not based on sentiment or, or public outcry, which is sometimes a difficult thing to say. But we can definitely say this is not a decision that we're taking because we want to be popular. Mm. But we believe that this is a decision that we have to take in light of the ignorant mm. uh, violations that we have seen of this contract. And we think that this relationship cannot continue mm. anymore. There's a huge trust deficit between ourselves and T4S. And the relationship is really in the doldrums. Mm. When, when Crispin, last question. When exactly? There's a there's a ninety day, I think, notice period, right? And and so when when exactly do do you take over that particular prison? Is there a date written into the contract? Do you, as of you know, I I I'd assume you've got to give them notice. You know, um, they would look at it, and all sorts of negotiations would now begin to begin to happen around finances or whether they broke the law or whether they really did breach, and whether those breaches were extreme. You're going to have that, you know, um, uh, up and down sort of scenario, but. When, when according to government and the Department of Correctional Services, is D-Day, as in, you know, we take over on this particular day, is, is there that kind of scenario already, or is it up to what the legal minds are now going to work out? Yes. Uh, as we understand it, uh, 90 days from today, yeah. effective from today, uh, we will have then have said that the contract has been terminated, and we are now in the process of entering into transitional arrangements, if any are required, mm. for us to then fully run the facility. Because for uh, you, you can imagine it won't take th- uh, three months for you mm. to just suddenly have people there and be able to run the facility. There will be some transitional arrangements that will have to take place. Mm. Uh, but we believe that at some point then we'll be able to say uh, at least at least 50 or 60 percent of the facility has our staff or those type of technicalities are likely to take place but that will be effective in 90 days time three months from now Mm. and yeah that's where we could leave it but there is this uh, possibility of some of these things being played out by the the wranglings that you have outlined maybe Mm. they're taking issue with this and that we also taking issue with something that they may say, so that may then just play out the process a little bit longer than we anticipate. Mm. Um, I think it's reasonable to expect that, but we have every intention to ensure that comes the 
the third month, we are mm. fully ready to to really take over this facility. Crispin Piri, thank you so much for coming in and just making, making or giving us and putting some sense to to some of the things that are being are being said and 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 have been reported on around this particular issue. Thank you so much for coming on to Power Perspective. Thank you very much, and have a good evening. That's Crispin Perry, spokesperson, of course, for the Ministry of Justice and also Correctional Services. There. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.